3: The Tom Sumner program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com.
2: Program.
1: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back everybody. As we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with the author of... uh, Uh, It's actually after uh, 35-plus years in the corporate world, his debut novel with the promise of a summer sequel uh, being ready soon. The book is called A Gift Most Rare, and it's being described as a feel-good coming-of-age story set in small-town America in the early 1970s by Tom Liebacher, who joins me by phone. Hi, Tom.
5: Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Really good to be with you.
3: Not everybody that comes out with a debut novel promises a sequel right out of the shoot. Yeah. Um, did you get the writing bug and and how did you get it?
5: You know that's such an interesting question because uh, on the one hand, being in the advertising and media business, um, I do a lot of writing each day at work, but it's it's you know promotional in nature and copywriting in nature. it's not it's not fictional. and so it was kind of a strange thing that uh, an idea for a novel would come to me, and in fact, I tried to kind of ignore it at first um, because it was just very different, but it stayed with me and eventually, um, I just decided let's let's uh, give it a try and uh, basically, on my commuter train going in and out of New York City every day, um, I wrote this story and it was so much fun that when, when the, the manuscript for Gift Most Rare was done, because it's a, it's a Christmas story, when it was done, um, I just thought, well, let's keep it going with a summer sequel. And, um, and it also uh, was super fun to write, and it flowed really easily. So, uh, yeah, it's been a really, really enjoyable project.
3: Why a coming-of-age story?
5: Oh, well... So um that actually came about uh, I don't want to say by accident, but it wasn't exactly intentional either. so once I had the idea down and I had sketched out you know all these different bullet points on ideas for different chapters and and once I nailed down the setting and nailed down the roster of characters and started writing, it it kind of was well, it wasn't really flowing all that well at first. And so I went for a long walk with my dog and I thought things over and I, it occurred to me, you know, the main character is a middle school aged boy. And, um, you know, those three years of my life at, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth grade at Briarcliff middle school were three of the best years of my life. And I still remember them vividly. And, uh, I thought, you know, if, if I go back and place this story in the early 1970s when I was in, in that age group, I can just take my memories and perspectives and the, the, the recall from those days and kind of subject uh, the main character and his group of buddies to the same kinds of thoughts and feelings and emotions and hopes. And interests that that we all were were dealing with, um, so that's how that happened. Um, it was like a big light bulb that went off in my head, and once i I did that, um, things were really able to flow, and so that's that's how it became a period piece
3: you know it's in, it's interesting I wonder um, you know part of uh part of this story, as I understand it, is these uh these these young people um, set out to, to craft a, it's, it's called a God honoring Christmas gift for the whole community. Um, is that something that was, was that an easier task for them to perform in that time period than it might be today?
5: Well, uh, gosh, that's a, a really interesting question also. Um, I mean, the times back then, I think we're probably a little bit more simple and perhaps our communities were maybe a little bit more close knit. We have so much more going on these days. Um, But, you know, we're, you know, Briarcliff Manor, um, uh, where I grew up and where I still live is a very small town. Um, There's fewer than a hundred kids per grade in the, in each, you know, in the schools. Uh, community's got about seven thousand people that live here. It's only about two miles wide, so it's still a very close-knit um, place to live. But yeah, you know, back then things were a little simpler, and so maybe it would have been easier to uh, to pull that off back then.
3: Is it, is it both time and place maybe that made it seem more doable?
5: very possibly. Yeah, you know, I think that that the times again were a little different, um simpler. You know, we gosh, even now uh in my in my adult years, I have so much happening every day, even on weekends, that that, you know, it feels like you're going in in multiple different directions all at once. And back then, you know, what what mattered most to us was you know, your your close closest friends sports you know what what are we going to do is it football today is it is it uh basketball today is it is it is it it baseball today you know sports your friends eating food was always you know on our minds um and then you know of course in that age group you know that nerve-wracking but exhilarating experience of beginning to get interested in girls and and trying to actually have intelligent, cohesive conversations with them. And um, so, yeah, again, things were were a little bit simpler back then. And, and
3: you mentioned writing on the train. mm mm-hmm. Was that the best way for you to find time to write? How how do you find the time to write with all that you have going on?
5: Yeah, I think the answer to that is definitely yes, um, because... I mean, before pandemic, I don't go into the city every day anymore for work, Um, but before pandemic, every single day, uh, since the day after I graduated college in the early 80s, I would get on my train at Scarborough Station um, on the Hudson Line. Uh, It's about a 50-minute train ride on the express train into Grand Central. So essentially, um, that gave me if you round up uh, about two hours a day of uninterrupted writing time and on the train, it's almost like a a library on the commuter train. You know, most people, uh, you know, you don't talk out loud. Um, You know, you're not listening to music or something out loud. It's kind of quiet and you can really, you know, focus your thoughts. And so that was, was really, really um, an asset for me because all day long at work, it's go, go, go. And then once you get off the train, you know, you've got to get your workout in and, you know, you got to have time for dinner with your family. And then maybe there's a committee meeting or something going on, you know, in the community at night that you have to get to. You're, you know, volunteering someplace, whatever it might be. So those two hours a day uh, on the train were was where I would say 90% of the writing took place.
3: That's just amazing, because you know, for a lot of us, Tom, we we think of of authors as as you know, going off to a cabin in the northeast woods and you know, emerging several months later with a manuscript. And this yeah. idea of trying to fit in the writing where you can each day is 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 fascinating. And and also what you said about outlining, how important to your writing process was the outlining
5: yeah the the outlining was important because um you know when you have an idea you got to put it down on paper because i think i mean with me and i think most people um ideas can come and go and if you don't capture them you might lose them but what was amazing um was that you know the more i wrote the more the story took on a life of its own. And so although I started off with a, a, a list of about maybe eight or ten bullet points, just a sentence or even a sentence fragment that would capture the essence of a potential chapter, as I started to flesh those out, I'd be in the middle of, of, of writing a certain chapter, and then an idea for another chapter would come to me, so I'd stop and go back to my list of bullet points. I'd add another one with a little, you know, kernel of a thought uh, to remind me of, of uh, what I was thinking for that potential chapter, and then I'd go back to writing, and the most amazing thing, you know, just continued to, to happen. Uh, I, I'd get new ideas for new chapters. The next thing I knew, I had maybe 15 or 16 bullet points on that list, and I thought, well, how much longer can this go on? How much farther can this go?
0: <laughs>
5: Next thing I knew, I was up to about 20, and I thought, okay, well, that's got to be about it. No, I was 23, 24 after that, and then 26, 28, and I thought, well, come on, that's there can't be anything more. Nope, blew right past 30 bullet, bullet points, and I think I ended up with about 34 before I, it finally just kind of trickled off. And so... If you've ever heard that these kinds of projects can take on a life of their own, I definitely found that to be very, very true.
3: Well, when I've talked with, with other writers, sometimes there's there are the types that, that tend to outline things first
4: mm-hmm. and, and
3: then build on the outline, and then there are some who just write, and, and it's almost like the story writes itself. Yeah. Um, but... But your description sounds like it was a little of both.
5: Yeah, I'd say that it was. And it was especially, you know, writing the dialogue, which was just so much fun, the dialogue between the main character and his group of, of buddies. Uh, it got to a point where, honestly, Tom, it was like I was taking dictation. Like, these, <laughs> this group of buddies, uh, any situation they ended up in... I knew exactly how they'd react and respond and the things that they'd say and I didn't have to really even think about, you know, the words and the dialogue that that came out. It was just really fun and easy that way. So I think it was definitely a combination of both. You've got to put some planning into it and you've got to, you know, do some outlining, but you've got to keep that handy because you get ideas throughout the whole process and Again, you got to jot them down so you don't forget them. And then, you know, when the time is right, come back to them and, and flesh it out.
3: My guest is uh, Tom Leibacher, and uh, the book is called, let me get this right, A Gift Most Rare, being described as a uh, Christmas feel-good coming-of-age story set in small-town America in the early 1970s. Tom, I have to take a short break here, but I want to talk to you some more about this book. Uh, Can you stick around for a few minutes?
5: Yes, sure. Thanks, Tom.
3: All right. Um, If you're listening to us on 92.1 LPFM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well And the Tom Sumner program.
1: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. <laughs>
3: And welcome back everybody. We continue our conversation with debut novelist Tom Liebacher about his uh, new book, A Gift Most Rare, being described as a feel-good coming-of-age story set in small-town America. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around and sorry to make you sit through all
5: that. No worries. Thanks, Tom. Um,
3: We were talking a little bit about the writing process and how you wrote a lot of this uh, on uh, on the train. But I also wanted to ask you, um, I, and this is something I ask a lot of writers, which came first, the story or the characters? Did you did you write a story and think, you know, who would this happen to? Or did you come up with some characters and say, hmm, what kind of stuff might they get themselves into?
5: Yeah, no, the, the story definitely came first. And um, so um, it actually... Uh, Uh, I kind of got stuck early on because one of the first things you have to do is nail down your roster of characters and really all I knew was that I needed to have a middle school age boy with a super big heart that really cares uh, for others, especially those that might be having a tough time for one reason or another. And I also knew that I wanted to have a really cool uh, visiting angel character And that, uh, this angel would be, you know, a big, strong, handsome guy full of je ne sais quoi and capable, you know, of, of anything. But after that, I, I really, I I was kind of a little bit stuck. And so I actually went out for another long walk with my dog and, um, I thought to myself, uh, you know, um, Back then and throughout my life, I've known lots of interesting people, um, and what if I, I took characteristics from some of them and created characters that way? Like, for example, one of the main character's closest friends is this really rowdy, kind of irrepressible, um, uh, he, he, he kind of can't help himself. He's always got something to say. He's always pushing the envelope. Well, I knew some, some guys like that growing up, so I kind of recalled them, and I, I, I took characteristics from their personalities and created that character that way. But then I also thought, you know, there were some real actual people um, that were really great people. There was Coach Cadman, everybody's favorite a gym teacher and, and sports coach, and there was Reverend Higgins, who was actually my father-in-law, pastor at Radercliffe Congregational Church. real characters. and um, so I just included them exactly as they were. So there's a combination of fictional characters, mostly fictional characters, but there's some real live people that are actually depicted pretty much just the way that they they were.
3: You know that was another question I, I was curious about. Um, did you have to do any research for this book, or were you able to just pull from your own knowledge and experience about the time and place and and uh, some of the things that that might happen to these characters?
5: Yeah, well, you know I have such vivid memories, so, so that was sort of the starting point, but I, I did cheat a little bit and I did, uh, uh, go online and look up, uh, you know, top songs from the 1970s, top movies, top TV shows, most popular snack foods, uh, you know, current events that happened during those times. And so I had a little bit of a cheat sheet, um, as I wrote, and it was kind of fun because it was sort of like, you know, when it was appropriate to insert a reference to one of those cultural items from back in the early 70s, it was fun to just sort of pick something off of that cheat sheet and fit it into the story like a piece of a puzzle. <laughs> and uh, so it was really, it was a very fun process, uh, you know, going back in time and, and recalling all those different things.
3: As you're, as you're writing, uh, as you were writing this, Tom, how... How much did you visualize the characters and, and what they were doing and what was happening to them?
5: A lot. I mean, that was really, I think, uh, one of the main uh, ways that I was able to layer in uh, as much as I did with regard to descriptions of not just the the different characters, um in terms of their physical appearance, but also in terms of of what drives them um, and what motivates them, as well as their backstories um, that got them to where they are, but also with regard to the setting itself. um, It was very enjoyable uh, for me personally to work with words to try to almost, in a sense, paint a picture with words as to, you know, that giving, given setting and or that given character, you know, what was the weather doing, um, you, know, what, well, you know, who else was there, you know, um, uh, uh, all, all the different things that were going on around them. And so uh, that was a really fun part of this process, just working with words to create those, those uh, pictures uh, for the readers.
3: Tom, you mentioned riding the train every day pre-pandemic. Um, when was the book written? And and dare I ask how you spent your quarantine?
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> Gosh, quarantine, I, uh, boy, I tell you, on, on the one hand, it seems like it was a long time ago. On the other hand, you know, boy, that was an awfully strange and difficult thing Um you know, talking to uh, my son and his wife by phone, as opposed to going to see them for a little while there, that was tough. My wife and I, just you know, just the two of us, staying in the house, not seeing our friends. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, before uh, March of 2020, when things, you know, our, our office in New York City closed, um, I would say the the book was largely written uh, throughout 2018. And then 2019, um, I think I spent most of that year just editing. So the editing process itself was really fun. I think I, I must have made a good 10 or more passes over the manuscript. You know, one might have been working on pacing. Another might have been working on dialogue. Another might have been working on this thing that's called show, don't tell, which is sort of a writing standard where you're, you're not supposed to just tell the story, you're supposed to describe what's happening so that the reader can picture it for themselves. And and um, so there's all these different things that you have to be mindful of. And so, you know, I spent a good good year just having fun, polishing, working with words and, and phrases and sentences and whatnot. Um, and then, uh, you know, it came out actually in October... Uh, of 2020, uh, so so that's that's was the lead up to um, you know when I wrote and and the timing of it, and then during during the pandemic, um, you know I had time on my hands. Um, uh, my company, you know, we're a media company, so we weren't doing that much business, and so I was able to you know, put a lot of time into the the sequel. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, The sequel is the same cast of characters, but they're two years older and now it's summertime. And so it's all the fun and, and rowdy things we would do with our summer break. And what I really enjoyed, you know, we talked earlier about how these projects can sometimes take on a life of their own. It was not intentional when I started writing the summer sequel Uh, to, uh, in, insert an anti-bullying message, but that's what came out of it. And so I was really happy for that, um, because this really cool, uh, anti-bullying theme began to emerge and, uh, I began to work with it. And, uh, so that's, that, that was fun. And so, yeah, that's pretty much how I spent a lot of my time during, during the lockdown and the pandemic.
3: Well, kudos to you, because I know a lot of people were just, you know, just, just dead in their tracks, you know, like like deer in the headlights. Um, and and I've talked to even some very successful um, writers, New York Times bestsellers, even that um, said they wished they'd have used more time to be productive. But, you know, we didn't know how long things were going to be and right. so on. And so, right. you know, kudos to you for, you know, being productive during that that time. Now yeah. that you've um, written first this book, A Gift Most Rare, and the upcoming uh, summer sequel, you... Um, is your mind constantly looking for either the further adventures of these characters or new stories, new characters?
5: Yeah, actually I'm, I'm glad you asked, um, because, uh, the third, um, uh, sequel is, is pretty much written. It's the year now, it's the same group of, you know, characters and now they're graduating high school. And, um, uh uh that's largely written. Um I'll be going into edits, I'm sure, early next year. Uh the theme there that emerged was um you know, reconciliation. Um and and so that's kind of fun. It's it's that senior year where you're you're so thrilled that you finally made it to the top of the hill and all your friends you're you're just you know having a great time, but in the back of your mind you're thinking about wait a minute in about 10 months life as we've known it is going to change forever and so there's a mix of of uh, excitement and anticipation but also a little bit of anxiety and um uh reconciliation became uh, the main theme for that and believe it or not the fourth installment is outlined and partially written um this one is the same group of characters but now they're post-college and they're starting their careers and and um you know the theme there that's emerging is is perseverance and and trusting in God.
3: That's fascinating because I, I was I was just getting ready to ask you if you were going to stop at a trilogy or if this was going to turn into a series, and it sounds like it's turning into a series.
5: It is, and you know I I don't have any firm notions about you know what might possibly come after the fourth um, sequel is done but I'm pretty confident that something will emerge and that will spark. And, um, I have a few maybe passing ideas, but I haven't really tried to work with them yet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just so much fun. I, I, I I really, really enjoy when I can just sit down and write. And it's kind of an interesting thing because, um, you know, uh, I know that, that sometimes, um, uh, that's a bit of a struggle for people. You know, there's maybe this thing they call writer's block or, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, they just can't uh, put the time, you know, get the time to, to sit down and write. But for me, um, it was always sort of the opposite. There was, there was really kind of nothing that I could have been doing when I couldn't have actually honestly said, gee, I wish I was home writing. Um, so it's been super fun, and i'll keep i'll keep doing this um, for as long as I can come up with fresh ideas for sure
3: i when did you know it it was it when you first started writing a gift most rare that you realized there was going to be more than just the one book um i you know i'm I'm always curious if writers get to the end of that first book when it ends up being a, a trilogy or a series. And and they get to the end of the first book and think, but wait, there's more. Or if you go into it knowing that there's going to be more to the story after that book is written.
5: You know, uh, no, I when I when I first uh, worked on the manuscript for a gift most rare, I I wasn't thinking beyond that. But I think combination of again, these things taking on a life of their own. And, you know, being in the advertising and media business, you know, we're kind of, in a sense, you know, we've been trained to think in terms of, okay, what's next? You know, how can we build on this product and, you know, get get it uh, to the next level, you know, uh, maybe spin something off, um, whatever it might be. So I think a little bit of my my uh, professional experience um, you know, uh, sensibilities might have might have uh, played a little bit of a role in in pushing forward into the summer sequel.
3: Well, the whole concept of "but wait, there's more" was born yeah. in the advertising <laughs> industry.
5: <laughs> You're right. Yes.
3: <laughs> um, Tom, the process of writing a book or books is somewhat solitary and of course we've been going through this um, this this whole period of quarantines and lockdowns and social distancing and so on Um, are you able to interact with people and get feedback about the books and and do you like that kind of interaction like book signings and that sort of thing?
5: Yes, very much so. so. Um, you know, to answer the question of do I like it, um, I remember when I was fresh out of college and uh, I was copywriting, and and uh, I remember my boss, you know, came back to me and you know marked up something I had written that I thought was pretty good, and there were red marks all over it with suggestions, and boy, it was I was really crestfallen, and uh, he looked at me and said, "Hey." Even Shakespeare had an editor, and that little phrase always stuck with me because, you know, you can't take it personally. You, you can get valuable insights when somebody, you know, takes the time to let you know what they think. So, yes, I'm always trying to share this with people and, and get their take on it because, you know, it might be that what I put down on paper in my mind worked perfectly, but if somebody else looked at it and they didn't really get what I was trying to go for, then it's really important to, you know, go back to the drawing board and rework that. So I do have between my wife and my wife's sister, who's a really close friend, um, and a few other people, I do share what I, what I write. I have a really close friend who does the editing, uh, who I've known most of my life. Um, her name is Meg Shuda. Uh, she's the younger sister of one of my closest friends growing up. She's a great writer, but then there also have been a few times when there were author events where I was able to, you know, in a socially distanced way, uh, meet with um, groups of people who were interested to come together and talk about the book, um, and uh, I would learn new insights. They would ask questions that about things that I had never maybe even thought of. And then I would make a mental note and, uh, you know, try to make sure that that got included in the next uh, uh, writing session or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I definitely love getting the input, and, um, and uh, that's very, very helpful.
3: Way back, I worked in, in radio for a while. Uh, my first radio experiences were like 30 years ago, and when you said that uh, about Shakespeare had an editor... Um, It it made me think of something a program director said to me once about radio. He said, be yourself, but more.
5: Ah, Yeah, great.
3: (laughs) And and I think that sometimes, you know, uh, just a little turn of phrase like that really helps you think differently about what you're doing and, and what you're working on.
5: Yeah, I mean, that, that phrase was uttered to me uh, way back in the early 80s when I was right out of college, and I still remember it very freshly, and I still think of it and use it all the time. And so, yeah, it's very valuable, uh, you know, to to be able to get that, that objective input. Um, it helps helps you, you know, improve things.
3: Well, I've added it to my list of words to live by. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's a great <laughs> phrase. Um Tom, one of the things that I always want to make sure I do with guests is let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website?
5: I do. Thank you. It's www.tomleibacher.com. And, um, you know, it's a pretty robust website that, that has a lot of information about the book. There's a video trailer there. Uh, there's a bunch of reviews that have been posted and, um, you can click on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or iTunes right there on the website and order the book. If, if interested, you can even, you know, shoot me a note, uh, through the website and correspond if you'd like. Um, but yeah, those are the places where it would be available. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, iTunes, um, and a few select bookstores in different places. Um and uh, and yeah, at my my author's uh, webpage,
3: well, Tom, um, i'm I'm curious about uh, are you are you working in advertising still?
5: I am as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I was in the office uh, on Wednesday and yesterday as well because last night was our annual holiday party. Which we uh-huh. still went and did. Um, we found a place that, um, you know, checked uh, vaccination uh, records and whatnot. No one could, could go that wasn't fully vaccinated. And we ended up having a really nice time. Um, and being in New York City, and especially at evening this time of year, when all the lights are out, um, it's a special kind of an experience. And uh, so, yeah, I'm still... still uh, so working for a living, so to speak. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hopeful that, that life will begin to get a little closer to normal in terms of being in the office uh, at some point early next year. Um, it's an interesting thing because we all love being with each other because you get that camaraderie and you exchange ideas and and uh, there's there's a lot of, like, synergy there. On the other hand... Uh, We've also gotten used to each of us working from home, and that's not a bad thing either. Um, So we'll probably have a little bit of a hybrid situation going forward, but, um, yeah, we're we're still trying to figure that out.
3: Well, I know that I really enjoy remote working I have a small studio in my home which I started a couple of months before the uh, pandemic and I thought I was going to mm-hmm. be so unusual and then a few weeks later everybody was working from home and it wasn't all that unusual anymore but uh, yeah. I, I enjoy it but like you I, I miss uh, the camaraderie and being around other people and co-workers yeah and and, and so on so I'm I'm uh, hopeful, as are you, that things will get much more back to normal in the the near future. Tom, thanks so much for spending time with me uh, this morning. The book, again, is called A Gift Most Rare. It's uh, a debut novel from, my guest, Tom Liebacher, and uh, promises uh, a... um, a little, a slightly different look at Christmas in, in a feel-good coming-of-age story set in small-town America in the early 1970s. So, Tom, thanks so much, and uh, keep up the good work.
5: Thank you, Tom. It was great being with you. Really appreciate it, and uh, best of the holidays to you. Take care. Okay, take care.
3: If you're listening to us on WFOV, our voices Radio 92.1 LP-FM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and uh, my friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com We have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. We wish
0: you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show.
4: And taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at Michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana.
3: U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Sleigh bells
0: ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Go away. Stay is a new bird,
2: he sings a love song as we go along, walking in a winter wonderland. In the meadow we can build a snowman, then pretend that he is parson Brown. He'll say, are you married, we'll say, no man.
0: But you can do the job when you're in town, later
5: on we'll conspire, as we dream. I'm afraid, the plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland
0: Just hear those sleigh bells jingling Ring ting tingling too Come on, it's lovely weather For a sleigh ride together
3: Ever should be. Let's take the road before us And sing a chorus or two Come on, it's lovely weather For a sleigh ride together with you
2: There's a Christmas party At the home of Farmer Gray
5: It'll be a perfect ending To a perfect day We'll be singing the songs we love to sing Without a single stop
0: At the fireplace while we watch The chestnuts pop There's a happy feast Around the coffee and the pumpkin pie It'll nearly be like a picture print by career and eyes These days are the wonderful things We remember all through our lives
3: Here comes Santa Claus Here comes Santa Claus Right down
0: Santa Claus Lane Frosty the snowman Was jolly happy soul nose and two eyes made out of coal Frosty the snowman was a fairy tale they say he was made of snow but the children know how he came to life one day
4: there must have been
0: some magic
3: in that old silk hat they found cause when they placed it on his head he began to dance around thumpity thump thump thumpity thump thump look at
0: Frosty go
3: So delightful, and since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.
0: Oh, and now's the show signs of stopping, I've brought some corn for popping, the lights are turned way down low, let it snow, let it snow, let it it blister and bluster and and blow, let it snow, let it snow. Sumner program.com The Tom Sumner
2: program.com We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you wherever